Hi, and welcome to Match Cut, the movie podcast where we take two movies with the exact same rating on IMDb and break that tie. My name's Aaron. I'm here with my friend and co-host, Matt. Hello! Hi. And for our season finale, we are joined by special guest, Kurt. Hello! Special hey. guest with history expertise, Kurt. Hey, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to, to apply that here, perhaps. Yeah, that's why all these movies take place in the future. Dystopian futures. <laughs> for, all that, for all that history knowledge use. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're writing a movie, or anything really, it always starts with an idea, a seed of inspiration. Sometimes the idea comes to us in a dream or in the shower or from our own life experience. However, sometimes we want to breathe new life into someone else's idea. And sometimes Hollywood gets his hand on a cash cow of a book and really wants to milk that sucker dry. I was thinking about Harry Potter when I wrote this. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, whatever the case, people have been adapting existing works to film since the very beginning. And I do mean like the literal very beginning because I think it started as far back as like the late 1800s. Hmm. I, that is true, actually. Yeah, that's crazy to think about. I, can, I that, That's actually crazy. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even think about that, but that's so true. Yeah. So in thinking about it, the adaptations can kind of broadly be categorized into three different variations. Uh, You got the direct approach of a movie based on an existing property, um, the looser adaptation, which might be like characters by, or the more nebulous, like inspired by where it might just share a title. You know, some movies do that or, you know, you get inspired by real life events where it's just kind of like, well, let's just take the racism out and then we'll put a movie together. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I thought it might be fun to talk about maybe which one of those were our favorite. But before we get to that, if you're listening and you want to share your favorite adaptations with us, uh, you can either get a hold of us at matchcutpod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at matchcut. Nailed it. Engagement (laughs) success. (laughs) Hit that like button. Ring that bell. We're not on YouTube. Give us a thumbs up. And if you don't like it, give us a thumbs down and tell us why in the comments below. Exactly. If you don't like it, please just still engage with us. (laughs) So what do you guys, uh, what kind of adaptations do you guys like? So I'm going to, I'm going to throw it to Kurt first since he is our special guest. Um, I generally will like based on adaptations more than inspired by or characters by only because it's, inspired by is such a it's it's it is very nebulous and it can it can mean all sorts of things i mean ranging from the bad thing that aaron mentioned to just like basically being like oh we kind of had an idea based on this real life thing but we just didn't follow anything that happened so i like based on i would say more and isn't uh oh brother where art thou inspired by the iliad or odyssey which one which one is it uh, probably the Odyssey, but I've never heard that. I would imagine the Odyssey it, though, because that it was literally about... says it literally says on the open, inspired by the Odyssey. Hmm. Uh, apparently, the story behind it is they wrote the screenplay, and then they were like, "Oh, this has a lot of similarities to that story. Let's make it more like that in some rewrites." Oh, I did, I've never seen that movie, so I, I honestly couldn't tell you, or I I wouldn't know myself. Uh, at this point in my life, I am never surprised by the movies that my friends have not seen. <laughs> You're, I've I've broken him. <laughs> yeah, like you get a lot of stuff that's also 
like just more broadly based on like here's the hero's journey for the 20th time like <laughs> mm-hmm. but that's not like you couldn't even say that's inspired by joseph campbell's the hero's journey because he just looked at you know classical tales from that history and was like oh there's all these similarities that you can boil down really simply to create yeah. an arch yeah. narrative mm-hmm. and people can adapt that now because we have joseph campbell's the hero's journey as a book that we can read yeah yeah I would say that um, characters rise is probably my least favorite because it's like why uh, like why are they why are they there like what like if they're if they're just characters then what's the point of you telling the story you've written something you're standing on the shoulders of giants and you're packaging it you're packaging it and you're selling it without any of the the, the sacrifices hmm. yeah it's like, well, I don't want to create my own story and I want to make a sequel in an existing world or it just feels the most cynical of them all uh, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Like without the original uh, writer's involvement or story creator's involvement, it's just like you are doing something that is just commercial. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, though. Aren't all three of the movies we're about to cover, spoiler, um, aren't the movies we're about to cover uh all uh characters one is a character one is inspired and one is based on yeah yep. they actually fall into all three categories well so spoiler alert are we am <laughs> i am i jumping the gun if i ask which one's which um i'm i mean the titles that we're covering are in the podcast titles so uh soylent green is is um based on a book i robot is basically inspired <laughs> they by give it they the words they use in the credits are suggested by Isaac Asimov's book. <laughs> I mean, that's is, about it. That, that's about as much as it is based on Isaac Asimov's story. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get it, into it specifically. And then dread is character spy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So for me, I really enjoy the character spy because when you're at, when you're adapting something like a book or, you know, a video game or whatever, any sort of longer form narrative you have that issue of like well if we turn this directly into a book it would take 19 hours to film it and that's not manageable so like if you have characters you like if you have characters that are interesting that have their own motives and stuff then you can put them in a story that's formatted for the length of a movie rather than trying something like um oh gosh what's it called the Neil Gaiman one with the angel and the good omens. Yeah, yeah. Good omens. That book is like word for word, the TV show. Well, wasn't it also adapted hmm. by Neil Gaiman? I believe so. But I mean, adapted by in that case kind of means like, we're just going to like literally every beat from that book is in that show. But then again, I think that's, that's more to do with Amazon wanting to put a good foot forward with their first, big original show that like could draw people in because i remember when that was first airing like they were any package you got from amazon was good omens branded with tape that was good omens i'm sure you saw enough in your day job (laughs) yeah it was it was very much out there and yeah it, it just like if you hadn't read the book then like hey, just watch the show. But for my experience with that was watching the show being like, oh, hey, I'm interested in this story. Why don't I just go grab the book? And then the book is just exactly the show. And I was a little like let down. But So you felt that it was like that they could have done a that it, it's it's more interesting for you to have 
um, the work that uh, like a movie's based on be different from the actual work that it's based on. Yeah, or because when you adapt a book to a movie, like either you make eight movies, like the Harry Potter series. Yeah. But even looking at, at one of those movies on its own, like you cut out so much like interesting stuff mm-hmm. because you can't make a book into a movie unless it's a short story. True. Okay. So leave leave that nuance in the book alone. Create something just for the movie format that is an hour and a half, two hours, and then, you know, put the characters in if you can't come up with your own. There is definitely something to be said, like you, like you were getting at, Aaron, that... If you're going to adapt something, make sure it's an adaptation and not just like a word for word copy. You know, one of the mm-hmm. the the ones that jumped to mind that now has a show adaptation of the world is The Watchmen. The movie mm-hmm. was criticized heavily for being just a beat for beat, shot for shot, angle for angle remake of the comic. And the criticism was like, you're not letting the characters in this movie breathe differently than they were in the, the comic book. So what's the point of the adaptation? Mm-hmm. this with with the notable change of the ending in the movie but i i honestly i'm actually i think that ending works better for the story that he does create because there's some there is a fair amount he had to cut out that he didn't want to cut out zach schneider that is that he had to change the ending to make more sense in his narrative and i think it does make more sense in the narrative overall by even cutting out some of the allegory that it, a lot of the allegory that is in that story, I, I think it was a fair sacrifice to make. And I think he made a pretty good change at the end or the writer made a good change at the end. Yeah. Again, Watchmen, I think did something smart because they took those characters The the show, I mean, did something smart, took those characters and, you know, it's references to the story, but that put it forward a couple years, like now not just or... a couple. It's it's set in, <laughs> it's set contemporaneously, as opposed to in the eighties. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. So some good stuff there. I I don't have HBO Go, so I've only like I caught a couple episodes like at my parents' house. Okay. So that's that's been my experience with that show, but I've I've heard nothing but good things since then. It sounds like it's one of those best shows that no one's watching, kind of thing. Yeah, I'd agree yeah. with that. I was going to say, though, like the opposite of that and uh, of this situation is 100% Game of Thrones, I just realized. Like, yeah. I feel like mm-hmm. most people of Game of Thrones wanted just the books to be recreated and then have nothing else change, have everything be exactly the same and and like keep and like that's it. I think uh, as uh, someone who has read the books, my problems with the show even though I didn't watch past the first season was the things they were changing weren't good changes. They were just changing things to be different. And because they didn't have the care or patience to actually do it a proper, uh, to make proper changes and put the effort in as we are finding out about the final season, they literally didn't care. Yeah. Yeah. Once, once they departed from the books, this kind of went off the rails a little bit. So I guess the real answer is just have good writers. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the secret sauce in an adaptation is having someone that cares about the source material Mm -hmm. that wants to translate it to something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which without, without 
sorry, without going too far in the direction of, I'm just going to write my fan fiction. Oh, yeah, exactly. I was going to say, I have a point about one of the movies about Dread um, later that uh, that kind of a, uh, pertains to the same situation. Yeah. Should we uh, start knocking through these movies? Because we have, we have a fair bit to go through here. Yeah, yeah let's do it. All right. So this episode's matchup is about upholding law and order, warrantless search and seizure, and the dystopian hellscape that awaits us all. Yay. So flash that badge, slap in that bottomless magazine, and kick the door down. It's time for a match cut battle royale featuring Soylent Green, iRobot, and Dread. So uh, what were your guys' experience with these movies before we watched them? Uh, Kurt, I'll let you go again. Well, um, I I hadn't seen Soylent Green until literally this morning. <laughs> and then, and then I saw iRobot. Um, I saw iRobot. I think in the theaters, like right when it came out. And I don't think I've seen it, like besides watching it for the movie or for this podcast. I had not seen it since. And then Dread, I've watched plenty of times. And I remember watching it. Um, I think, I think me and Matt watched it for the first time. For my first time, I think Matt had seen it before. Isn't that right, Matt? Uh, no, I think. I can't remember in all honesty, but I do know that I personally saw all these on like home video release. I didn't see these, any of these in theaters, obviously wow. because Soylent Green is from 73. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> iRobot was in 2004. And so I just, I had no interest in it. It looked kind of dumb. And yeah. then um, Dread was one of those things like I kind of wanted to see it, but I was like, I don't want to see it in 3D. I don't like 3D. I don't mm-hmm. think it adds anything. And I think that was a lot of people's uh, response to Dread 3D, as it is. It was right in that movie. era of like 3D everything right, needs to yeah. be 3D. So, uh, uh, Aaron, uh, Soylent Green, my first watch for this was for this podcast. Um, I Robot, I believe I saw in theaters. Uh, 2002 was a while ago. Um, I I read the book. Um, before like the collection of short stories and so i was just like heck yeah i'm down to watch this movie and we'll get to my feelings on that later and then dread uh was a home video watch for me i didn't i didn't go shell out the extra two dollars for the 3d glasses that's fair so bacon number fun fact uh besides being linked by these imdb scores uh these movies are also separated by four degrees so Charlton Heston was in Hamlet with Jack Lemon. Jack Lemon was in The Legend of Bagger Vance with Will Smith. Will Smith was in Independence Day with Jeff Goldblum, and Jeff Goldblum was in Thor Ragnarok with Carl Urban. It's a nice, God. nice daisy chain. It yeah. is. Also, I can't think of The Legend of Bagger Vance without thinking of the Unforgivable video. Anyways, <laughs> uh, I was I was wondering if uh, Charlton Heston would make it to Will Smith, but yeah, there was enough overlap there. Wow, that's that's impressive, honestly. Yeah, well, I mean, overlap through Jack Lemon, so right, he's right. he's the real hero here. I think there's <laughs> there's one more connection between the two of them, but I can't remember it for the life of me. So, uh, why don't we take a quick break and we'll uh, come back with Soylent Green? So, join us after this.
Soylent Green is a 1973 movie written by Stanley G. Greenberg, based on the novel Make Room, Make Room by Harry Harrison and directed by Richard Flesher. Soylent Green stars Charles and Heswin, Edward G. Robinson, and Leigh Taylor Young. Uh, Richard Flesher is uh, best known for 2001... Uh, wow. Richard <laughs> Flesher is best known for 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, The Vikings, and Red Sonia, which is not a good film. <laughs> However, oh, it's not. Soylent Green, the year is 2022. The world is past the brink. Overpopulation has pushed aside to find new ways to feed itself. Enter the Soylent Corporation with their products Soylent Yellow, Red, and the brand new Soylent Green, the most popular Yum. of the three. Mm. In the middle of the, all this is New York detective Thorne, played by Charles Heston, and his close friend Sol Roth, played by Edward G. Robinson, both just trying to eke by. When a rich man is murdered in his home, the job falls to Thorne and Roth to figure out just what is going on. So I was pretty surprised, but this is actually a really good movie. Yeah, it is. It is definitely amazing how a movie from 1973 is able to capture these themes that are uh, applicable to today so well. Yeah. Well, I think... I think it's it, it's it's a it's it's insane that there is that there is this this it's like it's like you can't you can't tell this from 1973 it's it's like it's it's a timeless it's timeless filming all the way through I'm trying to think I'm trying to think um how I want to say this like I since I don't normally like old movies it was very it was very interesting that I could literally put it on and think Okay, I'm just gonna put this on the side. Like I'm getting ready this this morning, and then I I couldn't help to sit down and watch the whole the whole thing. Yeah, it sucked. It sucked me in immediately. It's amazing how captivating it is. Like it's part of that new new wave of Hollywood that was happening uh, from the transition to the end of the '60s into the '70s, where you know filmmaking was going in different directions. It was. Um, you know, clearly something that I don't think you could have put out before the seventies and it would be hard to put out today. Cause it was like with, moving away from that, like Broadway acting type thing or no, the studio system is what it's moving. Uh, okay. That's new Hollywood. New Hollywood was different gotcha. filmmaking okay. techniques that were coming into the forefront. Uh, you were getting uh, people that were the first wave of people that maybe went to uh, film school were making okay. films and influencing filmmaking. Uh, it also was becoming cheaper to film. And so the the production costs went down so they were able to create more interesting movies that you didn't see before because it needed the whole vertically integrated studio system to survive beforehand okay um, it's definitely something that um they didn't try to overextend themselves with like special effects it doesn't have to be set so far in the future it doesn't have to be like you almost said a 2001 the space odyssey <laughs> you know it's like we're going to we're going to film this in an apartment and in a in a like kind of cool modern home with some automatic doors but like that's as far as it kind of goes it's not yeah. it's not trying to sell you a brand new world uh foreshadowing to what we'll talk about next is that irobot does so much to make this world seem ooh, it's like it's so future you look at all these things like a self-driving car i mean which i guess isn't that future anymore but it's like it looks very future like they tried really hard to make sure that you know that it's in the future whereas this mm -hmm. movie is much more like it's just subtle things like oh the the doors open automatically and like there's certain futury looking um 
like accoutrement and furniture that are in that's in Simonson's house, the the CEO, they got murdered. I think this movie does a really good job though, like showing you a world that is past the brink. Like mm. it can't afford to manufacture these things anymore. Another movie that kind of resonates similarly, at least the scenes set on Earth, is Interstellar. Uh, Interstellar's Mm -hmm. Earth scenes are like, no, this is the world that was is gone, and this is what we got to live with. the The scene that kind of encapsulates it, which is a tell don't show, which this movie shows and doesn't tell, Mm. is when Matthew McConaughey is talking about, oh, they used to make these things called MRIs, and if they still made those things, they would have found the thing that killed my wife. It's like. Yeah, I get what you're saying, but show us something like that. Show us losing your wife, like burying her from because she died of brain cancer or something like that. Like show us the anguish you felt rather than just getting pissed off. Whereas mm-hmm. this is like, there's literally a scene towards the end where Ed, uh, where Saul Roth has decided to end his life, which is a thing that people do in mass in this world. When you get too old, you mm-hmm. just end your life. Yeah. Um, and he's in this place where they're showing you the world that was just nature documentaries, you know, airborne shots of sheep in, in a field, deer in a forest, flowers uh, coming into blossom. And this is the first time Charlton Heston's uh, Thorn character has ever seen this. He thought he understood, maybe, but he he couldn't comprehend it. And when mm-hmm. Saul is calling to him, it's like, do you see Thorn? <laughs> You see how beautiful it was, and he's, you know, like, near the verge of tears. Um, yeah. And then he does break out crying when, you know, Saul says, I love you, Thorne, and he says, I love you, Saul. And the real heartbreaking part of that scene is, in real life, Edward G. Robinson died a few months um, before this film was released, and the production okay. knew that he was dying of cancer. And... That was the last scene they shot together. And I don't know if Heston ever had a chance to see uh, Edward G. Robinson again. Damn. And yeah. they... Go ahead. Sorry. There's there's a real, like... One of the things that stuck out to me in this film was that they just... They let the Saul character die. Where I think in maybe more modern Hollywood or if, you know, if a movie were to embrace tropes a little harder... Mm. foreshadowing um Mm -hmm. they would go in like it would be like no you don't really want to die like you you don't know what's best for you like i'm gonna break into the room and save you so like when charlton heston or thorn is standing there like i always thought he was gonna grab the mic and just be like try to talk him out of it but no he's just he just wants to enjoy Saul's final moments with him this man is such a close friend to him that like and they, this movie does a really good job showing that like, yeah, there's a bit of a transactional part of their friendship where, mm-hmm. where Saul helps Thorne solve a lot of these cases, or at least do leg work and grunt work in terms of like, you know, f- finding papers and paper trails for him. But I, I definitely got a sense there was a real friendship, especially uh, after the, the scene in the, the murder investigation where, you know, he steals a whole bunch of stuff from the apartment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of unilateral police power in this movie, which will kind of be a theme as I alluded to in the intro, but a lot of scenes of 
Thorne just like walking into people's apartments and just like going through desks and stuff. It's like, I'm a cop. You saw my badge. That's enough. You know, yeah. I'm taking this pillowcase. I'm taking this meat. I'm taking this bourbon. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of just like it, the world, like it, it gives you the sense that the world is, is desperate. Like even the cops are desperate in this case. It's it's a used up world that can't make things anymore. Yeah. Um, one of the big things that he brings back that you know gets a really re- big reaction out of Saul is paper. Yeah, people mm-hmm. haven't seen or used paper, paper. in so long. Yeah. yeah, and then the two like books that he brings back. Yeah, the, the, the whole dinner newer scene. Books. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> like I think yeah, right. they're close to they were what 2004 12 or uh 2015 to 2019 or something that's right 15 and 19 yeah yeah it was this this year yeah doesn't the he in that scene he steals a bunch of food right brings it back that's the same he steals he steals like the meat that they had like put aside for a meal that they were gonna eat and that's right like apples and whatnot and it just shows yeah. this bounty of his his you know his loot his looting basically yeah honestly uh, another really interesting thing is like something i don't think you can do as much anymore is the amount of extras in this movie mm-hmm. just literal mm-hmm. teeming throngs of people and it, they don't yeah. look like hollywood people they look like real people just average like like they just went out and was like hey you, uh, you want to be in a movie yeah, it probably was as simple as that. We'll give you a T-shirt, it, you know, it's Soylent Green T-shirt uh, to <laughs> yeah. be in this movie, uh, to act in the scene, to get picked up by a, a garbage truck or whatever. A scooper. Yeah, scooped <laughs> up in a, in a food riot scene. Uh, this, this scoops are so fun. <laughs> I mean, it, and it, it, those scoops during the food riot, which was just like the police's riot control way of just like, okay, all right, we're, we're just going to scoop you up and put you in this in, in this bin to just stop the riot, which it just shows like how, like how um, the dystopic and just horrible the world is where if you riot or do anything at all, you're just going to get picked up like cattle and just thrown in the back of this, you know, bin. Well, the other thing is driven it's, off. It's so common that these riots happen that it's like you're on riot detail today. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's like a it's a shit detail, but everyone's got to, you know, eat a little shit sometimes. Yep. Yeah. It's not. Working. Oh, we're expecting a riot today. It's like, oh, same as yesterday. There's going to be a riot. Yeah, it's going to happen. <laughs> I also when that when the scoops was first mentioned, I thought like, oh, it's like a name of a separate unit. Like, yep, that's what I thought. Like, too. like the black baggers from V for Vendetta, another excellent <laughs> dystopia. I'm like, oh, no, it's literal scoops. <laughs> yeah. Just like human pooper scoopers. That's it. That's all it is. Yep. Cleaning up the detritus. <laughs> God. The way they slam those scoops down every time is just like, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, that's actually the there's a guy that is trying to kill Thorn. That was the the one that actually killed um, Stanislaw, whatever. What's his name? Simonson. Simonson, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they <Stanislaw>. killed <laughs> <laughs> They killed Simonson is being used again to try to kill Thorne, and like Thorne is trying to catch him, but every time he like this guy is getting away, he's turning back to shoot Thorne. He he shoots a an innocent woman in the head and like yep. another person in the back, and it's like it's not like he's using these people as human shields. They're literally just too many people in the way. So many yeah. people, yeah. Um, going back though, that scene, um, 
when they when Thorn brings back the food to Saul and they have this like like Saul, you know, he's he's getting shown that he has beef and he has lettuce and he has apples and um and Saul's face is just lighting up and then they like it cuts to them like eating the food and when they take that first bite of just like lettuce. Just like lettuce, just plain lettuce. <laughs> iceberg their lettuce. eyes. Yeah, iceberg lettuce. They're like <laughs> eyes are like just bright and they're like oh my god this is the best thing i've ever had like i can't believe that i get to eat this and then they have like stew afterwards and it's it just it's such a nice scene and it does make me smile but it and then i had a like a slow realization maybe a quick one of like oh god they feel this way because this world doesn't have these things anymore yeah literally saul says you know i can't remember when i've eaten like that and thorn says i've never eaten like that yeah. And this is a man who, if we're to take his age to be, you know, when Charlton Heston was playing this character, to be his actual age, which was 50. 50, yeah. Like, a 50-year-old man in 2022 had never had meat and lettuce and apples. Mm-hmm. Mother, that yeah. just makes me want to go to the grocery <laughs> store and yeah. get some fucking Fijis or some <laughs> Granny Smiths or some shit and just, like, <laughs> enjoy it because, like... Man, we take so much for granted. And he ate the whole thing. Yeah, he yeah. ate the core and all. He risked that arsenic yeah. poisoning. Yeah, <laughs> risk it for the biscuit, baby. I felt really bad because I had eaten like a massive burrito before this movie. And oh, and like so often, like we think about lettuce as like, oh, it's the food that food goes on. Like we just <laughs> throw out lettuce like as a plating, you know, ingredient. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's like here they you... are like going to town on this single leaf. How did you feel when you eat it, like while you were eating the burrito, watching this movie? <laughs> I finished. The, I finished the burrito beforehand, and I was oh, like, okay. stuffed. And then I'm watching this movie, and it's like I don't feel great about this decision anymore. <laughs> yeah. Other interesting, like world building things that they don't, you know, they never shine a spotlight and like this is what how it's always been, and this is the way it is, and all that that like you know mm. other movie like another movie in this lineup might do spoiler mm. i robot does Oof. um where when he goes to stevenson's apartment in the chelsea towers um he has a live-in lady that is referred to as furniture oh mm-hmm. yeah that's right furniture furniture but it's it's not even like a, a derogative th- like it's not a pejorative necessarily it's just yeah. like a matter of fact statement it's like, like a job oh, it, yeah, there's there's mention like of contracts and all that, but like you don't get a sense that these women get out of these lifestyles. Like you see, uh, uh, Lady Taylor Young's character, and then another character later on um, that the bodyguard has, um, Tab Fielding has in his place. That uh, they clearly have a a kept life, and in exchange, it's like you're gonna you know keep house and provide sexual satisfaction Mm -hmm. just matter of factly and like to show how like broken down this world is detective thorn is not above using the furniture (laughs) that's true oh yeah that's true yeah even even when and this goes back to a little bit of the show don't tell stuff Hmm. is even when the concept of furniture is introduced like they don't put a big spotlight on it's just thorn walks in you know, and just says, oh, is hmm. the furniture of the apartments or his? And it's like, oh, it's the apartment. And, and there's no indication of that he's talking about 
the person in the room with him. Yeah, it could be it's just like, kinda... oh, is it a pre-furnished apartment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but apparently now the, the rich are, you know, one of the, the pieces of furniture is an attractive young lady. Yeah, Cheryl. Crazy Cheryl. Which... The, the aspect of the future they did nail in this movie is stupid spellings of common names. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> How is it spelled? Oh. Uh, S-H-I-R-L. Sheryl. Sheryl. Got it. Or I don't want to put a judgment on it. It's not stupid, but it's a, <laughs> Come on, not Cheryl. a common Cheryl's spelling. Cheryl's just fine. Outlaw country! <laughs> as, as someone who often has to explain how his name is spelled, it's why would you intentionally do that to someone? Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> the uh, the interesting thing about like the interactions between Thorn and Cheryl is that you can tell Thorn actually kind of likes her, and mm. like he wants he. There's a part of him that wants something more, like and it clearly cares about. But like maybe this like that's something that I, I never thought about. Like maybe women in this world are not viewed as like women and, you know, uh, worthwhile pursuits. Maybe they are Hmm. just furniture because there's too many people. And so what's, what's the worth of a woman when, you know, they just make more babies. That's, it's actually a fair point. And which, I mean, this is more just wishful thinking. I wish we knew like how contraceptives, like how prevalent they were anymore. Like, it couldn't be all that prevalent because there's yeah. 40 million, 400 million people in New York. Uh, 40, 40 million. 40 million. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're not, they're not handing them out at your local Planned Parenthood. That's for sure. Yeah. That's obvious. I um, think, um, I think Thorn also feels a little bit for Cheryl because like we get the realization later that Thorn is super expendable as well. Yeah. Like when he gets shot in the leg. Yeah, if he's sick for two days, he loses his job. Yeah. And, yeah, that's another thing I like about this movie is that, like, it, like we talked about in the Once Upon a Time episode, the ending kind of doesn't wrap up in a nice bow. It leaves that question of, like, okay, is this, you know, uncovering of the truth about Sutherland Green going to go anywhere? Because. Yeah. The police captain's obviously under the thumb of, you know, Governor a lot of Santini. people. Governor Santini. Santini. Yeah. yeah so, like, is, is he going to risk his job to get that out there? You know, yeah, will people, yeah. does that information make it back to the exchange? Like, hey, you're right. It's people. <laughs> yeah. Like, you got to tell them. What I didn't get, though, is Saul had been to the exchange before he went to kill himself. Um. And it was the exchange that was telling him, like, you know, you're, you've come to the right conclusions. There's no other two ways about it. Hmm. Like, that felt like he was just, to me personally, trying to give Thorne some hope and something to do that would make him feel like he had done his job. Yeah, I think, I think maybe in that world, like, that is still such a strange, like they can't really be doing this right. Where it's like, okay, we got to go to the Soylent facility, see this for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we and- I think, I think it is though. Right. I mean, I, I think even in the worst case scenario of like survival, most people do draw, draw the line at cannibalism. Right. But again, I, I feel like, it's like what Aaron was saying. It's like, you know, the people he's telling it to, they're in on the conspiracy now to a degree. 
Yeah. Also, what benefit would it be to to get rid of the major source of food that the the population has left? Mm-hmm. Is it more the fact that the plankton and kelp are dying that is important? It's like no, the reason yeah. we don't have soylent yellow and soylent red, and we have only soylent green anymore, is be or you know soylent red and yellow are going out of fashion is because we're only going to have soylent green anymore. Yeah, because. Because he, I mean, he does say that you know the oceans are on fire, or whatever he says, and like, like the 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 plankton are dying. Yeah, the plankton and the kelp are dying, which is it's creepy because like recently in in the real world, we just had like the war- largest you know coral mm-hmm. le- reef bleaching finish of the Great Barrier Reef. Like, mm-hmm. uh, there's there's so many uncomfortable things that you watch this, and it's like, damn, we have fucked up. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and that's the that's the craziest thing. This was in '73, which, like, I think is too early. But but then I but then also the book was written in '66, so it's like there's this. It's insane that there's already there was already talk going on, and this is we're still living it here. Like it's it's all these things make sense to us, even 50 years, 40 years later. Yeah, and it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the ideas being so still prevalent and like like we talked about this kind of timeless quality of um, the sets and not like, you know, relying too much. Like obviously the end thing with Saul was, a, you know, nowadays a very obvious use of, of blue screen as it was still very early in development. Yeah. But you've got this idea that's timeless. You've got sets and production and you got acting that you know never really takes you out of it like it's it's not maybe that you know broadway style acting that you were talking about where it's very big and and you people are projecting with their stage voice or mm-hmm. what do you guys think i mean what would you guys take on the acting i never once does it you know like pull me out there's a few characters in it that feel more like actors of their times like uh tab fielding is played by chuck connors who was like a television actor more more so uh, and uh and i feel that like he's a bit weak but like he comes off as fake but then again that kind of works for the character that he's playing being fake because he's like the bodyguard and he's kind of part of the you know part of the institution that is working against detective thorn yeah. so like him not being above board all the time and being a little more stiff works for me it fits, uh, yeah. One of the one of the parts I really like is how sweaty everyone is. <laughs> yeah. And it's just yeah. like So why is that? Because the greenhouse effect, isn't it? Oh, right, 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 right. And yeah. so like it's 90 degrees and it's just like they just got to live with it. Although to <laughs> me it's weird that they're also often wearing like knit and wool and like stuff like that. Like <laughs> there's a scene where his uh his chief is like in a a turtleneck sweater and I'm like motherfucker isn't it like 80 90 degrees out <laughs> yeah why are you turtleneck what the fuck you know he's he's not walking home in that that's for sure no um but no. it's just oh god there's just so many little details of like there's a scene where he goes back to Cheryl in the apartment just kind of to see her mm-hmm. and um make sure she's okay i guess uh mm-hmm. and like he stays there too long and it's after curfew and she's like trying to convince him to stay with her because she doesn't want to be alone. You know, per- perfectly valid, not wanting to be alone and all that. Makes sense. Um, yeah. Which is interesting contrast to like the rest of society is like there's always people around you. Yeah. Being alone is actually might be fun sometimes. 
but um, she she convinces him by saying like, "Stay, take a shower. I'll, I'll make you breakfast in the morning." And he's like, uh, "You have running? You have hot water? Yeah, I, I can't remember the last time I had a hot bath." One of the big gets from when he first loots Stevenson's apartment is a bar of soap. That's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> you ever seen a bar of soap this big? Well, so like, well, are we too soon that the bars of soap are like, is everything just small or does it not exist? Not exist. You guys, okay. And if they did see yeah. it, it would have been like well used by the time they saw it. Yeah. So no one's, no one's bathing. No, and they're sweating all the time. It must smell horrible. Uh, I was I was gonna ask, like, you think anyone noticed that like Thorn had bathed? Like someone's gotta be like, why do you well, not stink like the rest of us? <laughs> I mean, with point. it being ninety degrees all the time, he's gonna start sweating anyway, so mm. no, I don't think anyone's gonna yeah, notice. <laughs> that's fair actually. Yeah. He does get back into the same clothes. Yeah. But, Which probably don't um, get washed all that much, like yeah oof uh i think the the only part of this movie that really stood out to me as like a thing from the 70s was the fight scenes <laughs> very oh, reminiscent yeah, yeah, of yeah. like the bond fight scenes of the time where it's just like i'm gonna clasp <laughs> my hands together and thump you over the back and then they, <laughs> and then they over crank the camera to make it look faster uh-huh yep. And that sound, that sound that's in every fucking seventies, seventies, <laughs> you know, fight scene. You like everyone knows it. I'm sure it's like that. Yeah, it just really classic Foley. And again, I think that's more of a holdover of like you know cameras and stuff like that were changing, but like they hadn't gone through the process to redo sound libraries yet because that that was really expensive. It wasn't just like oh, download a library of all the sounds I want ever and use the appropriate ones. It was like, mm-hmm. no, I got to go pay a Foley guy to go out there. And so stock mm-hmm. sound effects stayed around for a long time. Yeah. Slap watermelons and punch meat. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's one timeless element to the fight scene, and that is when Thorne just nails that dude in the crotch. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, Thorne's a cop. He doesn't, he doesn't, he plays by his own rules. He's a loose cannon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is definitely something I got from this film is like Thorne is like the last good cop within the parameters yeah. of the universe he's in. Yeah, yeah, in a, yeah, in a yeah. broken system where you can just stuff a pillowcase full of a dead guy's belongings, and, he's one of the good ones. And your captain yeah. is just like, "Hey, we've been told to bury it, so I'm going to bury it. It's all good. It's not on you. Like you're you're, you're not in trouble for this." He's like, "No, I, I'm going to find the truth of this." Yeah, and the, and the, and the, and the captain's like, "Uh, excuse me, the truth? Like, what's why are you doing that? Yeah. Don't you want to just not do any work? Why right. is this like, important?" Yeah, wh- yeah, why is it important about this, uh, just another dead body? Yeah, yeah, yeah there's been 132 murders since. Like, who gives a fuck about this guy? And also, they they go in uh, together on the, uh, I think they're stealing the death benefits from that guy. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. The, oh, that's true, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, give me give me 10 for this, and I'll give you all these. Yeah, they're in it with the, the recycle guys. Yeah, no, I mean, so what'd you guys think of the, like, the setting, like, like all the sets and like how the world was being, how the setting of the world was being built rather than just all these intricate details, but like the whole broad scheme of it. What'd you guys think of that? It's solid for a dystopia. Like 
like I said, they don't try to like set it in space. It's just like this is just messed up New York, which yeah may not be that hard to recreate. You just park a bunch of cars in the street. Well, especially in '73, like <laughs> <laughs> they were probably just going to to neighborhoods and getting cops to block them off, mm-hmm. and that's just what they looked like normally. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah, I can imagine New York looked like that. Yeah. I've watched some lower budget Italian films set in New York and like the Bronx from like the mm-hmm. mid seventies and whatnot. And like, they were also dystopic, but it's like the, you, they clearly weren't putting the time and effort that like this movie was. Yeah. I love the, I do love the, um, the setting. I think it's, it's, is a, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's dystopic and it looks dingy, it looks grungy and dirty, but there's something I, I always have found beauty in like, you know, what, what does like a concrete jungle look like? You know, what does like a huge city with huge buildings like that to me is, is kind of beautiful in a way. So seeing like him walking outside across the street and there's just people all over, but there's still like these really old, like 18th, 1800s buildings. It's pretty, it's, it, it's cool. It's, it's cool. Yeah. The world has a very lived in quality. Yeah, absolutely. And like, again, like the, the, the fact that, you know, things are so rare is like, running water and uh and air conditioning and you know paper like th- it's mm-hmm. all believable in the world that they present to you mm-hmm. or the plastic in the same dinner scene where you know charlton heston gives them both plastic <laughs> oh, yeah. utensils and then soul pulls out like the metal ones and it's like this is my nice so, you know this is my yeah. nice silverware the yeah. single set of silverware he's got exactly yeah. and that's just also- like that's like special it's just like a fork and a knife and a spoon is special anymore. That's metal, yeah. obviously. Also, they take the time to show you him like going up and down the stairs full of people. Stepping every time. over and like, yeah. And just like how crowded it is. And like the banister that he's holding on to to not completely fall over is like creaky and broken for the most part. Yep. Like yep. If, if he pushes too much, he's just going to pull the whole thing off. Yep. Yeah. That's just the way it is. Yeah, I, I just I uh, I love the movie. I I was I was surprised. I was surprised by it. I did not think I would like it, or or I didn't think I I would like it as much. Yeah, definitely. The only thing I knew about it is basically like the Soylent Green is people line, yeah. which doesn't and... like knowing that doesn't even ruin the film. Not at mm-hmm. all. But yeah, even like from the very intro where it's just like, okay, we're not getting a voiceover. Like, here are these pictures that we're going to show you. Like, I was kind of on board right there. It's just like, okay, all right, uh, let's see where this goes. Yeah, it was a it was a cool like you can see the progress of the world and like where it went from like, oh, there's people farming and oh, that's nice. It's it's like people have food and abundance and all this. And then it's like, oh, God, it's getting worse and worse. Like, (laughs) holy shit. We're all on a road to nowhere, nowhere to go. Too real. Go back. Go back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's sad that it is still too real. I'm mm-hmm. sad about that. Too real didn't watch. <laughs> <laughs> too real should watch. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I think and... uh, I think we've set our piece on Soylent Green. Uh, we'll be right back after a short break with iRobot. Excellent. See you then. Welcome back. 
on to iRobot. iRobot is a 2002 movie written by Jeff Venter and Akiva Goldsman with screen story by Jeff Venter and suggested by Isaac Asimov's book and directed by Alex Proyas. iRobot stars Will Smith, Bridget Moynihan, and Alan, T- Alan Tudyk. Uh, director Alex Proyas is best known for his directing on Gods of Egypt, Dark City, and The Crow. Two of those films Couple are good. Of- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Got a pair of good ones in there. Uh, the year is 2035. In the lead up to the launch of USR's latest robot, the NS5, their leading robotics scientist, Dr. Lanning, apparently commits suicide by throwing himself from his high-rise office. The case lands on the desk of the robot-hating Detective Spooner. Everyone around him wants this obvious case of suicide done and buried, but Detective Spooner doesn't think everything wraps up in such a neat bow. In fact, Detective Spooner thinks a robot did it, which would break the foundational laws of robotics. Mm. But Detective Spooner is going to uncover the truth, even if the truth seems impossible. Truth. Shall we start with some good things about this movie? <laughs> I like that scene where Will Smith is sad about that little girl. I I wrote down that exact note as well. That scene was really good. I, I don't think this movie earns that scene, though. Nope. Yeah, obviously it stands out above literally everything else. Um, Alan Tudyk I mean, is a treasure and deserves more credit. He needs he needs to be protected for all time. <laughs> He's a leaf on the wind. Watch how he soars. <laughs> oh, now I'm sad. Wow. Um, I literally wrote down in my notes, love Alan Tudyk in anything, but especially this. He makes Sonny like this movie would be so much weaker without a good Sonny. Yep. He sells that like, I don't know what's going on and I don't know why I'm doing these things. And so well with just his voice, because I don't know if they did like facial capture or anything at the time. I think a little bit. I definitely saw some like behind the scenes photos of Alan Tudyk in like a mocap suit. So I think they probably did facial and body capture. Yeah. Yeah. He probably did all that super fast running and shit. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. He, yeah, he actually ran that fast for sure. <laughs> little little known fact, Alan Tudyk has a top speed of 37 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Which is as fast as a T-Rex. <laughs> Alan Tudyk is a T-Rex, got it. Yeah. Alan Tudyk um, dinosaur confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, James Cromwell, Bruce Greenwood, Chai McBride, mm. all great in their bit parts. Mm-hmm. Like they are exactly who those characters need to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I think Will Smith is fine as Spooner, but it's like he, they you don't he doesn't earn like his bigotry. Like because we don't know that backstory, it's just like you're just an ass. Yep. Yeah. Like early on, you can put together like a couple things. Like he has the dream about the car accident. You know he's divorced. Like I first thought that his daughter died. It's not the case, but. Yeah, that would, you know, that would be something and explain why his ex-wife doesn't like him or doesn't talk to him. But no, he's just yeah. an asshole about robots who somehow still has a badge and is like, it's robots. It's always robots. Oh, that robot was probably <laughs> stealing a purse. The first robot ever. And I found it. <laughs> it's like I jumped off an overpass to, or he doesn't jump off the overpass, but he's like, you know, got down from there to tackle this robot in the middle of the street. Yeah. Uh, I don't like Shia LaBeouf in this movie. 
Oh, I I was going to give a shout out to actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. I, I, I don't think he does anything <laughs> bad. I just don't like his character. It's not interesting at all. And we have no reason to under- believe that he would be friends with Spooner. They don't build up any friendship. Yeah. I mean, the relationship always struck me as like, oh, he's a CI or something that, you know, feeds information to Detective Spooner, but... They never established that to my recollection. It seems also like that this, like, it's almost, I feel like this was a, a follow the leader of dystopic crime things from Minority Report. Because a lot, a lot of the tech looks similar. A lot of the framing and theming looks similar. It's like, it's this movie company is like, oh, we got to have a sci-fi cop show, you know, cop movie about something. But, like, at no point does it say, like, oh, what the crime rates are and, like, yada, yada, yada. It's like, well, with these robots, it's so good, you know, and crime is so down. So that could explain why Spooner is like, well, robots got to be doing something wrong because, like, there's no way crime mm-hmm. is so down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I said in the intro that it's a 2002 movie. iRobot is a 2004 movie. Yes. Isn't Minority Report 2002, I, I think, right? Yeah. I will seamlessly cut that in later. I'm sure it'll sound entirely natural. <laughs> I realize it's a 2004 movie. <laughs> Just Microsoft Sam. 2004. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, guest star on the podcast, Alan Tudyk. Get the robot voice. Yeah. Sonny from iRobot. Here we go. I did not murder him. <laughs> Oh man! Yeah, like this... that's a good scene. That interrogation scene is a good mm-hmm. scene. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're, and like Will Smith is not doing a bad job. It's just like the movie doesn't know how to show him like being a robot hating guy and also make us be on his side without being cartoonish about it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, the first like half hour of this movie, like Detective Spoon is just an asshole for no reason. Yeah, <laughs> no discernible reason. And Will Smith is good in that role, and he's a believable asshole, but it's like, why am I watching this movie about this asshole? Uh, Yeah. It felt like he was playing Agent J. Agent J from Men in Black? A little bit of the... Yeah. He's not a Blue Flame special anymore. He's just kind of burnt out, but yeah. I... I, This movie is, like, extremely tropey, like, to a fault, I think. The one trope I hope dies in the near future is the robot standing in for minorities in, you know, oh, a like movie a, about racism. Yeah. Like, yeah, I man. really hoped that David Cage's Detroit Ugh. Become Human would kind of kill that trope <laughs> forever. But... You thought David Cage would have subtlety? i hope that i hope that he would overdo it so hard that everyone's like you know what this is stupid instead he made his best game Mm. (laughs) i mean i but it's not it's not about civil rights it's not about civil rights detroit become human just like it's it's totally not we're totally not making an allegory about racism by having a black cop be racist to a minority yeah, like the, oh, I saw him running with a purse, so I assumed, like, oh my gosh. Like, it's real heavy-handed. I do like that his... his I don't enjoy it. His chief calls him out on it. It's like, oh, you're going to be the first one to, to solve a robot crime. 
And it's like, mm-hmm. paging Detective Spooner, you have a possible robot crime at the place yeah. that builds robots. <laughs> <laughs> like, at least in, as a compare, I'm going to directly compare it to Detroit Become Human. Detroit Become Human makes it known that there is a problem going on with robots gaining sentience. Yes. And gaining mm-hmm. free will and, and going wild with the way, because of certain treatments they're getting. And it's like, you see, it's like, okay, this makes sense for it to slowly happen. It falls apart or it falls on its face a bit in the third act when like, oh, now this guy can just magically turn people. What it was, what was the term that they used? Uh, a deviant? Deviant. deviant. Yeah, he can just, he can just look around and turn people deviant. Mm-hmm. But Remote like. deviants. Yeah. But the, like the start of it is like very strong and like. Mm-hmm. This makes sense why people have these feelings about him and like unemployment is up super high. Like the world of iRobot the movie does not build its world. There's interesting things that point to it being a dystopia, like the fact that Lake Michigan is a dry desert bed. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It, it still has all like this is to me it is very tropey, just as Aaron says, but and it's more of like I was more looking at the aesthetics of it because I just I couldn't help but see this is just what the early 2000s thought the future would look like. And, and, and Audi deadass just puts like a concept of the R8 in the, <laughs> in the movie. Yeah, just straight up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, y- do you guys remember that parking garage in uh, the front of the USR building, the United yeah, States yeah. Robotics, mm. where it just picks. If you had anything loose in that car, if you forgot your cup of coffee in that in that car yeah that garage just picks it up by its rear axle and hangs that car like your coffee is all over your windshield yeah it's totally done whatever whatever like circuit boards or electronics are there fried gone (laughs) uh something that is really obvious about this movie as well is uh in 2004 or 2003 whenever the movie was being made nike Mm -hmm. acquired converse and so Mm -hmm. they wanted to Mm -hmm. put a thing in a movie to help sell converse uh, all-star high tops and so Ooh. what do they have oh the robot hating old school detective gets a pair of vintage 2004 <laughs> converse high tops <laughs> that's so weird it's so weird I've, and he I've wears them throughout those, the movie i've heard those shoes are wildly uncomfortable and just so every time he just started running i'm just like oh that can't feel good what converse are yeah oh i mean Basic, yeah, yeah but when you yes. put an insole in them, they're fine. I mean, Converse, insole, they're fine. Also, Converse had been around since like the fifties. Yeah, yeah, they were the original the- sports shoe, the original uh, tie-in shoe. Chuck Taylor. <laughs> yeah, some of the other tropes in this movie, besides the hideous product placement, uh, you got the uptight, <laughs> uptight scientist who's socially clueless and just needs to meet the right guy. Yep. Oh, I hate it. And there's nothing there's nothing with them that is like, oh, they have a deep romantic connection. I didn't feel anything. If anything, it's like, no, the, this uh, sign, Alfred Lanning was, you know, meant something to both of us. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I want to solve this case, because he chose me and he's the one that gave me my robotic arm. By the way, I have a robotic arm. You don't find out about that until the third act. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he like he had robotics have helped him and he fucking hates him. 
<laughs> and and then after after he reveals that he has a robotic arm, he starts like ground pounding and breaking things with it. It's like, why weren't you always doing that? If I had a robot arm, it. I'd be punching through all the walls. Yeah, <laughs> I would. I would just be seeing what I could do with it. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad they didn't go like full love interest. I don't. I don't think this movie needed that. Yeah, but. I think the most egregious trope in this movie is there are two, two times where they go, wait, what did you just say? <laughs> and that and happens <laughs> twice. <laughs> oh my God. Explain it like I'm five, even though it's not all that hard. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm talking there's yes, there's the, uh, one more time in English, please, mm. with the like Ugh, accidental yeah. techno babble. Yeah. But the one I'm talking about is like when um, Spooner meets up with his uh, chief in the bar and he goes, he's like the, wait, what did you just say? Like he gets some sudden break in the case because someone said like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I love Hot Pockets. <laughs> wait, <laughs> Hot Pockets? <laughs> what if there was some kind of hot pocket within the robot's chest that held a second brain? <laughs> <laughs> like, the movie is trying to set up Bruce Greenwood's uh, Lawrence Robertson as, like, this evil... Like, But everything he says is like, no, th- that makes sense. Like, we don't want it getting out that a robot possibly could be mur- have murdered someone because of the mass hysteria it would cause. Mm-hmm. Yes, it'll hurt my yeah. bottom line, but, like, I'm more interested in the public good at this point. Yeah. They, they <laughs> red herring him so goddamn hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, like, like, the ultimate reality of it is, is, like, this is just not the movie I wish it was. Mm-hmm. It's a summer blockbuster. And so, like, you got your summer blockbuster formula. Like, we're going to have evil robots who are going to jump super high and have superhuman strength. Mm-hmm. We're going to kill hordes of them. So yeah. many of them. We're going to have Visual a giant riot, <laughs> giant robot uh, <laughs> uprising and, and big old riots in the streets with mass people running at, running at robots. And then, like, the, the, the end of the movie is just, like, a shootout with, like, we have to get this thing into the reactor. Like... You've seen it a million times. And there, there, there's it's a called Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you get a little bit of an emotional payoff, but Sonny doesn't know the emotional payoff that he, where he goes, Sonny, save the girl. Sonny didn't hear that story. <laughs> yeah, that one's that one's just for us, the audience. <laughs> um, but my biggest problem with this is like they called it iRobot. You know, they took Isaac Asimov's title for his collection of short stories, which, again, I really enjoyed and slapped that on this summer blockbuster. Also, Isaac Asimov did not choose that name. That name was chosen against Mm -hmm. his wishes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I did see that. Um, And so, yeah, like for me watching this movie, because Isaac Asimov's books like do deal with like. I think it's the murder of a robot and they have these sort of like fundamentalists which are like, oh, we want to return to the way life used to be. And, you know, there are people who are anti-robot, but that's kind of as far as it goes. And then like the only the only like critical, I don't know, deepest scientific thought in this movie was they just say the ghost in the machine a bunch of times (laughs) (laughs) and are like, well, yeah, that covers it. Like the ghost in the machine. 
yeah, and they have it. that the yeah. voiceover at the end. But yeah, ro- ro- yeah, robots. Yeah, they might be human or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know. Yeah, this movie thinks it's smarter than it is. Yes, mm-hmm. I was just gonna say like. As, uh, Asimov actually wrote a movie, or sorry, a book. Jesus, a book that would that dealt with humans, robots, and like morality, and then like robots, like robo psychology, in the in the whole breadth of it. But this movie was just kind of like, oh, here's a bunch of action action movies. Wouldn't stuff. it be cool yeah. if Will Smith said a whole bunch of one liners while shooting robots? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like, and he has his like his like goofy fucking sidekick kid, and like and like. <laughs> Bridget Monahan's weird character, wherever the fuck she is. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it is cool. Call it something else. Yeah. Literally anything else. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder like, this... like if there was ever a cut of this film that was more like actual detective thing while also dealing with like what is what is it to be alive? Instead of Spooner being like, nah, robots ain't alive, and being right the whole time. <laughs> except for Sunny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That would be cool. And like at the end, like when Vicky comes down and is like, I have a different interpretation of the three laws. Like they never go into what that is because like the first law of robotics is verbatim. A robot must not injure a human being or through an action allow a human being to come to harm. Mm. And somehow they've logiced their way around that to like the Skynet eventuality where it's like we have to kill humanity to protect humanity. Well, yeah. uh, her plan was to be like the the caretaker of humanity i believe and like you know mm-hmm. go live in your house we will bring you food and all and all such and that <laughs> and like but you you will not be harmed but you will also not harm anything else or else yeah except they definitely like harm humans oh yeah they, they for sure do there's a big robot army there's a big yeah. robot red robot <laughs> army yeah red robots <laughs> i say that is bad Basically, I think what we're getting at is if you want to watch iRobot, just watch a playthrough of Detroit Become Human instead. Yeah, I would honestly recommend people do that instead because it's a more it's a it's a more deep thinking art piece anyways. Or like Ex Machina. Oh, yes, like, please. Or Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, there are good movies out there that really do examine Blade like... Runner 2049. Yep, yep. Yeah. It's like, what is a human, but like a series of conditional what-ifs. Like, mm-hmm. we all have our own inbuilt circuitry, like... Mm-hmm. I was just, anyway. just, just having a conversation about this with my, with my co-worker, and he was like totally against robots and I was, that's what I was trying to tell him. I was like, I mean, human consciousness is just essentially codes and we work off like the code and the framework of our, of our mind. So what's the, what's the difference? We're just squishier. That's all. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And, and we're making pretty one... squishy robots right now. Mm-hmm. Squishy robots. What are you, what are you alluding to? Um, I don't know, Curtis. What do you think I'm alluding to? Okay. <laughs> okay. 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 In the future, we're gonna fuck secret. robots. <laughs> <laughs> future told the awesome you could fuck robots, <laughs> not just like you know by beating them up. Actually, fuck them. <laughs> yeah, go watch that episode of a uh, Futurama. <laughs> no thanks. I'd rather make out with my Marilyn robot. <laughs> 
that episode of Futurama does a better job of do do robots have a soul. <laughs> oh my god, you <laughs> <laughs> That comedy show does a better job. Yeah. <laughs> that comedy show that like published papers on mathematics and like actually cares. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, should we should we have a greater conversation about the whole you know are robots humans or is this movie just like too much of a blockbuster to really get into that this movie it doesn't deserve that conversation to happen okay. from no, this I movie feel that. i feel that yeah i do we should well when we do the bonus episode on ex machina Ooh. we'll have you back kurt and we'll talk about it then okay. um anything else with uh i robot i uh um. No. Oh, I watched it in times two speed. Uh, it made all. <laughs> it made it slightly bearable to watch a two-hour movie in one hour. Uh, but also, it was really interesting to see how obvious the special effects scenes became times two Ooh. speed. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that screen cap I got in the um, notes. But there's a scene with Will Smith on a motorcycle where his head is literally just pasted on a body. <laughs> what yeah that's one of them but like the the really big action set piece where he's driving his car in the super tunnel thing that's i don't know weird the super tunnel uh, uh it just it looks so much like a cutscene from final fantasy advent children <laughs> oh my god that is that is literally it, his show oh, it's so bad <laughs> it's so bad uh. it's so obvious or like there's uh even in the IMDb I've been like clicking through just as we, as you've been talking and he, there's a there's a scene where he's moving through all the robots lined up and he's like looking for he's looking for Sunny mm-hmm. um and just looking at like their hands and just the robots how they're like CGI'd it just looks like oh this looks like a like a bad Sony After Effects project like that some <laughs> high schooler has come up with. I Which I get twenty, you know, two thousand four. It was, it was, it was early and like it was like that weird transition into like CGI really getting good. So I get it, but still. Yeah, I'm. I'm what was the budget for this movie? Ooh, that's a good question. One hundred and twenty million USD. Oh my god! And it it grossed one hundred and forty four. That's not a. That's not great. Well, but not worldwide, fantastic. worldwide, it grossed three hundred and forty-seven. So, so yeah, I mean, yeah, it made its money yeah. back, but yeah, competent summer blockbuster, like yeah, it's got it's got good action. It's you know the like does it though? The, I, I I don't no, I don't think so. I don't know. It's got it, it's got a seven point one out of ten action in it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> some some of those uh, the camera moves, like where they spin around, like at the end and stuff, was a little, I don't know, extra for me. But yeah. Also, this this is just a personal um, personal thing. Um, I I felt personally attacked that all of the bad robots and like the 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 you know sheep robots, all their eyes are brown. As someone with the brown eyes, I am <laughs> offended. Honestly. Oh, that's another thing that's like dumb. Is Sunny is the only uh, NS four with blue eyes? All the other ones yeah. have like a yellow eye or mm-hmm. like. Group. No, it's it's brown. It's that's like that's no, what no, brown no. eyes. No, 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 the, no, no. The the ones in that lineup are definitely I, I have yellow eyes. 
the new the new model the old oh. models might have like browner eyes or maybe you just found out that you're colorblind to a degree <laughs> maybe i'm what <laughs> maybe you just found out you're colorblind <laughs> oh oof breaking news um anything else on uh, irobot no i think that's that is officially in I will I will reiterate my point. If you want a humans interacting with robots and why, you know, do robots have a soul story that's like similar, just watch a playthrough of Detroit Become Human. Yeah. Or wait until it comes out on Steam. I hear it's got terrible performance on the PC. Nice. Ooh, great. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back after this with our final movie, Dread. Next, we're we're going to talk about Dread, 2012 movie, uh, written by Alex Garland with characters by John Wagner and Carlos Ez, Ezquera, Ez, Ezquiera, and directed by Pete Travis. Uh, Dread has Carl Urban in it as a main character with his sidekick, uh, played by Olivia Thirlby. Um, Lena Headey and Dom Hall Gleason are the part of the enemy faction in it, and... Um, Pete Travis is actually best known for his movie, um, for this movie, and then as well as uh, Vantage Point and The Gunman. Uh, in the future, the area from Boston to Washington, D.C. has congealed into a vast metropolis known as Mega City One. It is a radiated wasteland outside the walls and not much better inside them. The judges are the last line of defense against Mega City One's vast criminal underbelly. Today, Judge Dredd is tasked with evaluating rookie judge rookie judge cassandra anderson while investigating routine triple homicide however today is going to be anything but routine and maybe even a kill house all the way up (laughs) six million people living in the ruins of the old world (laughs) and only one thing fighting for law and order the hall of justice and the street judges within it (laughs) see that was good you've been practicing i think mama's not the law i'm the law Got you. Are you uh, are you making a sad face the whole time? Yeah. Is that the secret? I mean, I can you I can grimace pretty like, good. Just yeah, <laughs> yeah, you got it down. I'm the law. <laughs> in my head, Canon Dr- Judge Dredd is just continuously disappointed in the world. <laughs> I mean, he really is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, what is all the like? Uh, um, I think we all agree that we all like this film. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah. love. I think this is one of those films that in recent times has become a a cult classic in a sense, but mm-hmm. like the cult classic mm-hmm. has a different description anymore think, in I my mind. I think it is. It was a movie that flew under the radar, which is probably why you guys, and me included, you watched it at home. Yeah. It, yeah. it was one of those things that made more money in home video release than it did uh, in the box office. Yep. Yeah, I think it barely made its budget back i know we don't talk about budgets very much we used to but uh yeah its box office was an estimated 50 million and it made like 48 million so it is you know budgets are are a flexible thing in hollywood as we've talked about but yeah it's not looking good it probably didn't make its money back yeah well, it, it did. It's it has since definitely made its money back, but Hollywood mm-hmm. accounting that doesn't matter. Um, I have, 
I've heard somewhere, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, guys, but I've heard somewhere that the DVD sales of it are like some of the highest, like even reaching the the record breaking numbers. I mean, we can definitely look that up. That wouldn't surprise me. I definitely remember when it came out, like Reddit was on fire. Like everyone should watch this film. Here's a clip of it. And it was like, oh, here's the, here's the, you know, the numbers for its DVD sales and all, all yada, yada, yada. And like, mm-hmm. we got to get more of this made. Uh, I know Carl Urban really wants to reprise Judge Dredd to the point Thank of you. even like, lying on the internet about it being going into production and the the main producer avi arid going like no he's he's talking out his butt about it i would love to have him back but there's not there's nothing close unfortunately that's too bad yeah. like there's i think there's an idea out there for a television show called mega city one okay it would, I think it would work well as a TV show. Somehow yeah. I skipped over this in my research before make, making the notes here, but uh, Alex Garland, the writer for this movie, wrote Ex Machina. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, there's an article that was on IndieWire that says um, Alex Garland will never direct another Dread movie. Quote, it was a crude experience. <laughs> <laughs> crude experience? But it was written by Alex Garden and directed by Pete Travis. So, yeah, is it? Well, I think he will never direct, or he'll never write. Right. It says he'll never direct. He directed Ex Machina, Annihilation, and um, a TV series as in post production called uh, Devs. So, uh, is it one of those things where Pete Travis, like, is the credited director, but he didn't actually direct as much? Well, we're learning this in real time, but according to this IndieWire story, while Dread was released with Pete Travis credited as the director, it's common knowledge in the industry that it was Garland who saved the movie after Travis lost control of the project in post-production. Okay, then. Kind of like how Kurt Russell is actually the one that uh, directed Tombstone, not the credited director. The credited director literally just like fell apart and didn't make any of the movie. Wow. Uh, Carl Urban said in March 2018, a huge part of the success of Dread is in fact due to Alex Garland. And what a lot of people don't realize is that Alex Garland actually directed that movie. So interesting. Yeah. Couple, couple factors that may lead to us not getting a sequel. Yeah. Well, and also that, that that's also more interesting that he directed Ex Machina, which is, like we we just mentioned that movie yeah Yeah, he he definitely has a handle on like sci-fi overall it seems um i've seen annihilation take that as it will i didn't hate it didn't love it oh wait he's also the writer for 28 days later and 28 weeks later guy's written some bangers yeah and he co-wrote he he story supervisor for devil may cry in 2013 and enslaved (laughs) odyssey to the west both video games Bang, 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 pull my devil trigger. <laughs> he, uh, he's a uh, dystopic future AI or dystopic future sci-fi is definitely right up his alley. Yeah, that's yeah. his thing, apparently. <laughs> so maybe it's no it's no surprise that this movie was good. Yeah. But um, uh, one of the things I like about this movie is that like right from the very beginning, like it's a very strong opening and kind of like what we talked about in Soylent Green like, you know, the stakes of this world right away, mm-hmm. like bystander gets full on bodied by that van. Bodied. And like, 
<laughs> then like Judge Dredd just executes two pe- or two people die right after and then Judge Dredd just executes a dude while he's holding a hostage mm-hmm. like and then you get skin bodies dropped into a public space <laughs> he, he did give him his choices it's true yeah so it's it's nice to just be like like here's the world we're in here's what you can expect yes this movie is rated R very mm-hmm. much so yeah, yeah. and very, very much needs much so. to be Yes. The uh, the interesting thing about the character Judge Dredd is he's been going on since the early 80s or late 70s in the comic mm. book or in the yeah com- the British comic book 2000 AD. Um, mm-hmm. It is still ongoing, Dredd's stories. Um, wow. Yeah, he is technically as old as he has been written. Like he ages with the stories. There's, you know, weird in in-universe explanations for how he is uh still alive and working at the age of like 80 or whatever it is um but uh the overall like reason it has like the feel and look at as it is is the the comic writer and artist is from south africa Mm -hmm. and so so they they have unique touch on like what a possible dystopic place could look like yeah, it's almost as if they live it day in, day out. Uh, I yeah. believe this movie was actually filmed in South Africa, primarily. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I was going to say. Is, yeah, I believe it was. But the uh, a lot of... He does comic book crossovers. Like, he's run into Batman as uh, and other things. Um, huh. Interesting. People look at Judge Dredd as the actual arbiter of lawful neutral. <laughs> as Why? Why not the, lawful evil? He's not evil because there is no, there's no good, there's no morality in it. Literally, it is about the laws and he enforces the laws to their letters. Okay. uh, For the most part. And you can see some of that in this, like when those drug, uh, the drugged up guys are in the van, just weaving in and out of traffic, he's trying to apprehend them. Mm -hmm. It's only when they kill a civilian that he uses lethal force against them true okay and that person who has a hostage he tries to negotiate to to diffuse the situation however when he refuses negotiations he summarily executes him Mm -hmm. it's just it is a very bad dystopic world however dread is not evil in a sense yeah also, a good example of that is like when um, Anderson says she's like ninety nine percent sure that um, uh, what's his name character named Kay is guilty of like the drug distributing Avon thing. Barksdale, mm-hmm. Avon yeah, Barksdale, yeah, essentially, yeah. Exactly. yeah. Um, you know, Dread is like, well, that's not enough. You know, ninety nine in a hundred. Come yeah. on, be a lot easier if you confessed. Yeah, he needs to have that 100% surety. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just like when those uh, kids pull guns on him later on, he he tries to talk him down. But when he's like, you're going to go in the, 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 juvie, the, the juvie cubes, like regardless, because you're <laughs> threatening a judge. But even when they open fire on him, he very quickly switches to stun because they are minors. And even though, therefore, capital punishment is not something you use against a minor. Yeah. Mm. Um, I definitely mm. do like on this on the subject of that morality, I do like that um like Judge Anderson or rookie Anderson doesn't like 
bring in a kind of like a 2000 or was this 2012 morality to it like oh my god i can't believe you're killing these guys like none of that's in there because she knows the world and she knows the stakes and she knows the situation mm-hmm. yeah they wrote like, it. this is the way it is yeah they wrote this it in a way, way that it's believable because mm-hmm. this movie would be terrible if it was like we're gonna have this bright-eyed rookie like would it, would it be terrible dread, like yeah would it be terrible if they like teamed him with comedic sidekick uh, that was played by like a guy who was popular in the time that they made it but like isn't all that funny uh, mm, like I'm thinking like uh, like a Rob Schneider kind of guy uh, <laughs> what are you doing, dude? also like you know Dread famously never takes off his helmet you've never seen his face in the entirety of the Dread comic books like but what okay. if we this had is him the way. 20 minutes into the film take off his helmet Ah, <laughs> oh, you're saying the original Dread, aren't you? Judge Movie. Dread with Sylvester Stallone, which many people yeah. thought this was a remake of, not just like an ignoring that happening. And I think that also hurt it because that's like a 90s cheesy action movie. Yes. Yeah. And like it's fun, cheesy campiness, but it's not Judge mm-hmm. Dread. No, yeah. not at all. Half, half-assed internet research says that... Uh, taking off the helmet was part of Stallone's stipulation for being in that movie and the reason that Schwarzenegger turned it down. Oh, his star was too much that. Yeah. That if he wasn't going to take the helmet off, he wasn't interested in starring, which, it, in which it. was a big problem when they were casting this. Cause they were like, they were coming to people and they're like, no, I, I can't, you, you're not going to let me take the helmet off. Nope. And then mm-hmm. Carl Urban was like the, one of the bigger stars that wanted to do it. That was like, yeah, I'm fine with, you know, I'm fine with you leaving the helmet off or on. Is he Australian? No, he's Kiwi. He's, oh, uh, he's Kiwi. Yeah. Okay. Hence why he was in Thor Ragnarok, because it was directed. Ah, uh, makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, so my point from earlier, uh, when, 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 we, when we were uh, doing the intro still, was that this is this is the perfect example of, like, where you take a movie or uh, characters by and you make a movie and then it completely gets fucked up by the, by the person writing it. And then everyone's like, okay, let's just, let's just go back to the original content and figure out how to do this better. What, like what key parts of this character make this character? Yeah. And that's, he doesn't take off his helmet. <laughs> he yeah, dispenses yeah. law and order in a lawless and orderless world. Uh, the, and this, it, the, and in a very skilled way too. Yeah, he is he is the legendary Judge Dredd. Yeah. For a reason that like I, what I like about this though is like this would be a just a one of the the weekly stories of 2000 AD in Dredd's like oh this would be an interesting little story. This isn't like mm-hmm. an overarching plot line that they do in Judge Dredd sometimes. This isn't, you know, the the scorched earth. This isn't uh the ABC Wars. This isn't the oh, what a, Judge Death and all that. I'm guessing those are all like huge events in the Judge World, yeah, Dread World. Okay, yeah, yeah. This is like this is just uh, which I love about it, but it is a very simple like thing. It's like it's it's it tells the story and it doesn't doesn't it doesn't have to have this you know world ending or like oh this great this great task that we're up to. It's just kind of like, you know, we got trapped in this kill house in this huge apartment complex. 
because yeah, they, the, they they randomly find the the manufacturing base of slow mo the new drug that's just hitting the streets and starting to make some headway because yeah, yeah. rookie anderson chose the peach trees ho- triple homicide to respond to yeah yeah and slow mo first is such a good movie drug name yeah like <laughs> and the fact it's that up it, there wasn't it done by the slow mo guys i think i think parts of that were yeah. possible well, the, the, slow-mo the slow-mo is incredible um not the drug the like slow motion i mean it was incredible man i love it i mean if like think about that though like that drug makes perfect sense in that world it's so terrible that you just want to experience some beauty in the normal world so you mm-hmm. take a drug that slows everything down and it like mm-hmm. creates something beautiful out of this garbage existence yeah <laughs> What did you guys think of the, speaking of that, what did you guys think of the cinematography on it? I mean, should we talk about that? Yeah. I think that oh, was the, the highlight like, of that's it. The slow-mo like bust where everyone's getting their face shot in. Yeah. yeah. Like that, like that this, first room clearing that they do is incredible. Yeah. I was, like I said, so glad this is an R cause it, you know, you wouldn't get that with PG 13, like not even close. No, nah, yeah. not at all. Um, the I think one of the complaints level to this film, and it's not their the fault, is like they didn't do enough slow mo scenes. It's like yeah, they didn't want to overdo it, but they also didn't have the budget to keep doing it. Yeah, like they had true. to because and they had to spend a lot of the budget after doing these slow mo scenes on post post processing for three D or post processing mm. for three D and then shooting slow mo in three D, which was a different right. challenge altogether. So they wanted to do more slow mo scenes. But the the way that the studio was saying, okay, you got to make it 3D, tied their hands more and they couldn't make the movie necessarily that they wanted. However, I think it works because you get that, the first car chase where they use slow-mo, you get the, mm-hmm. um, you get the first breaching in slow-mo, you mm-hmm. get Mama playing in the water in slow-mo, which makes that water look gorgeous. gorgeous Just like yes. that slow surface tension break. Mm-hmm. Uh, you Weird get the guy that she's bathing in basically <laughs> um also lena hetty perfect as a villainess or villain if you want to be gender neutral which i will be as a villain yeah um her her and dom hall gleason not to like get off track but her and dom hall gleason are like just disappear into those roles oh yeah oh, yeah captain general hux i didn't even remember was in this movie yeah yep no, you saw him and you're like, oh, oh shit, that is Don Hogleason. Damn, okay. Uh, we only refer to him as General Hux on this podcast. Oh, sorry, General Hux. Sorry. Excuse <laughs> that's me. A, yeah. That's a callback from uh, her episode on The Revenant. Okay. <laughs> General Hux. Captain General Hux. That's true. Mm-hmm. No, I get it. I see. <laughs> you were saying about the slow-mo scene. So, so yeah, there's the, the bath scene. Then there's the slow-mo falling through peach trees. And it gets reprised yeah. at the end when Judge Dredd throws Mama off the building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, that's such a great shot of her falling down and then like her pancaking on the pavement, like all in slow motion. Her head ex- just splitting open. Yeah. And I like oh, the man. theming of like turning the these horrible things in this universe into something beautiful. Like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's like the concept from uh, Gears of War of destroyed beauty. Yeah, 
no, definitely. I mean, there is something that I think that's a theme, maybe not in iRobot, but in Sterling Green and in uh, Dread, there is a certain beauty to the sort of dystopic nature of, of the worlds. Well, people are, are living their lives and they're finding what they can in it that is good and wholesome. They are, yeah. they're just trying to exist. And like, um, you know, again, dread is only killing and, and people that are you being violent against him. Like, uh, that scene when he breaches, he's the, he's the primary shooter, but he's only shooting people yeah. that are raising or holding guns or sh- raising guns against him. That's true. Yep. Mm-hmm. If only cops in the real world world could be as good as dread. <laughs> <laughs> May it would be would be very different world that we live in now. Yeah. Yeah. I think for as as much as like iRobot like um dives face first into those tropes, like I think dread um avoids a lot of tropes. Mm. Cuz like you have um like for instance, the scene with Mama where she puts on the dead man switch, like yep. normally I feel like in a movie you would be like, oh, darn, I guess the villain wins and we got to take her into custody <laughs> instead. And it's like, no, I'm going to throw you off this building on the assumption that 200 stories of concrete is outside the range of this transmitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's noted. <laughs> And, and there uh, is some still there's still just like just like dread i mean i would hope that the stallone movie was pulling from actual one-liners in the comics but this dread had some good ass one-liners well it's yeah. it, there's so much character with so little dialogue this is very similar yeah. to like a mad max like a um a road warrior mad max where like the guy has 15 lines or something like that but has so much character yeah like there's the 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 thing that happens in this movie is uh, there's the constant question and he does it three times to to judge Anderson. It's like ready, and the yep. first time is you don't look ready. Ready is and then she's like uh, not sure of herself, and he's like, mm. and then the last <laughs> time is ready, and she goes, yeah, you look ready. Yeah, finally he's like, okay, you're ready. Yeah, and they're also getting a lot out of that character. I I. Um, think of the elevator scene where like he's thinking about going for his gun yeah yeah he changed his mind yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then and then simple just statements that aren't indictments of anything it's like uh judge anderson is a psychic which is why they're doing this pairing uh a sink or swim like final test is like she was three percentile points off of passing but she failed to be a judge but because mm-hmm. she is the most powerful psychic the Hall of Justice has ever encountered, they're willing to give her another shot. So they pair her with the legendary Judge Dredd. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> there's a scene where she's she doesn't wear a helmet. And he's like, and he asks, why aren't you wearing a helmet? It's like, oh, it interferes with my psychic powers. And he's like, bullet <laughs> will do that too. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like he's saying she's wrong. He's just saying like, okay (laughs) yeah like he's understanding that yeah okay i get that but also the reality of our job is that you might get fucking shot in the head yeah well i Uh, think that i think that like my my favorite scene and matt knows exactly what i'm gonna say (laughs) is when in there's a moment in the movie where mama uh with selena heady's character sends out 
um, like basically like a like a, a, a contract on Judge Dredd saying they should pay a whole bunch of money if any other judges or anybody else comes to like kill Judge Dredd and judge judges other judges come and answer the call and so they start you know trying to find Judge Dredd and kill him and they and they get to him and you know one of the judges like pointing down having this whole monologue and Judge Dredd just goes wait and he's like oh the legendary <laughs> Judge Dredd on the wrong side of a gun and all he has to say is wait and he's like wait for what and it's like and then and then he gets lit up by by the rookie from behind and he's like wait for her to kill you or to or wait for her to shoot you <laughs> and this is like it's such a great just wait and then wait for her to shoot you that that's all he said and it just means so much yeah um yeah uh I, my favorite scene of carl urban like putting some real character into dread is when um he hacks into the the sound system to like basically lay down the law he's like people of peach trees or residents of peach trees mama's not the law i'm the law yeah it's like oh shit this guy's a badass yeah uh I, whenever i think of this movie i can't not just fall into trying to imitate judge dread so i apologize if that <laughs> bothers anyone however i'm the law <laughs> yeah i I, I think like this movie i think like had the potential to get like kind of a John Wick style following. Cause I think it lines up with those movies in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. like not just the ultra violence, but it's got that same like man on a mission attitude. And I don't, I don't know. I don't, what he was, does. Yeah. It's, it's got yeah. that gritty realism that both John Wick and this movie bring to the action genre of like, yeah. you know, it's believable. He's not bulletproof. He's not invincible. He runs out of ammo and has to like, worry about that as a thing um there's multiple scenes where he ducks away from a fight that like an 80s action hero or the previous film judge dread would have had a big old gunfight in yep yeah it's got those like real like fist pumping like hell yeah you know kind of moments in it and i don't know i guess it just never took off i don't know if it was the 3d or like the troubled development or well, it was like it was. I feel it was a combination of all those things. Like screwed by the studio with having to be made 3D, screwed mm-hmm. by the director falling apart, uh, screwed by bad marketing, and mm-hmm. not and Oral not marketing. enough of it. And yep. then putting it out as Judge uh, Dread 3D. When I saw this film on home on a home release, I was like, I should have seen this in theaters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Release this movie in VR so I can watch it in 3D because that's the only thing I have that does 3D. <laughs> Serious though. Well, I think like, do, how much do you guys think that the bad reputation of the Stallone movie had on people's reception to this? In America, I think that was one of the key factors that they had to overcome that they didn't with the the marketing. Yeah, because like, I mean, I don't know enough, but I feel like I've heard so many people talk about how bad that stallone dread movie is so you haven't seen it i've never seen it it's just cheesy and corny it's like it's not terrible in and of itself but it's like there were so many action movies like that in the era Mm -hmm. it was like commando like that that's how i think of it i just think of it as like commando but starring judge dread well commando was earlier this is the 90s that judge dread happens Oh, okay. I thought it was so, for some reason. No, it was the 90s. Um, 95. Okay. Yeah. Came out before Demolition Man? 
Okay. Uh, after Demolition, after Demolition Man. Man. So, like, honestly, it feels very similar to Demolition Man. How did Rob yeah. Schneider end up in both of those movies? Because there's no justice in the world. <laughs> yeah. Because there is, own judge there is no the law. <laughs> the law. I am the law. <laughs> like, the, the thing that people really like about uh, Judge Dredd, the the original movie, and, the, and it's one of the, the, the things that pisses people off the most is mm. the opening scene of that where Stallone is in the full Judge Dredd outfit and he's like doing a monologue and all that. That's Judge Dredd. That's like yeah. a very good interpretation of that. The next scene, however, he removes his helmet and doesn't put it on for the rest of the movie. <laughs> okay. And it's when it's one of those things, it's like you had an opportunity to make the the, a big budget Judge Dredd film and it adapted multiple storylines from Judge Dredd, the comic books, uh, Block Wars, and it put a whole bunch of references to it. Clearly there were people on that movie that cared about the source material that they were adapting, but mm -hmm. the actor that they got in the lead role did not want to actually be that character. He wanted to be, to be Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Yeah, he wanted to fit that I, this is me. This is what I who, who I am in every single fucking movie that I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you guys got anything else on uh on 2012's Dread? I mean, I got a lot on it. I'm I'm just I I love this movie. I think it's it's it honestly is one of my favorite movies of of all time for me. I it's I can watch it at any moment in the day. It's one of those movies for me. Um. I, I love the like like the world in it is 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 interesting and beautiful in a way like the whole idea of a mega city is mm -hmm. fascinating to me. Um, yeah, I, I I think it's really good. Um, I agree with Curtis. Uh, something that we didn't mention is this has like a great original soundtrack. Oh, very oh, true. Yeah, yeah, very the, true. The music in is perfectly like perfectly tonally appropriate for like the, the kind it's like oppressive electronic with like the right amount of distortion and like mm -hmm. noise to it. Like mm -hmm. it just feels so appropriate to the world that like, man, uh, funny enough though, as an, as an aside, like again, the troubles with this movie, they spent a lot of their budget making those lawmaster motorcycles because that's a feature <laughs> of judge dread is he has the lawmaster, motorcycle right. and mm -hmm. judge dread rides it in one scene and three other props are used for another scene and they spent like a l way more money than they should have for the budget on those lawmasters damn i wonder what i wonder what happened like why didn't they use i it? think that it was it's one of those things like it happened to deadpool uh, in Deadpool, when they were in the process of filming it, they got their budget slashed. And so that wow. final confrontation at the uh, helicarrier that is being like decommissioned or whatever. Yeah. Deadpool forgot his guns in the in the in the taxi cab. Originally, he was supposed to like go guns blazing, huge gunfight. But because the budget was slashed by like a million and a half, they couldn't afford to shoot a gunfight. Oh, so they had to just be like, okay, Deadpool's not gonna have a gun in this scene. So they improvised and created a funny bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um and I wouldn't yeah, be surprised it if it was similar that the a lot more of the movie was supposed to take place outside of peach trees. But yeah. because the budget was what it was, they couldn't afford location shooting. 
So they had mm. they they locked down one location for principal photography and shot there. Yeah, and and part of me, uh, like, let me know what you guys think on this, but um, part of me l- thinks that that added to the coolness of this movie. It's all one confined story. Yeah, I think yeah. that it's- that does help it. That there are other films that don't rise up to the challenge of a reduced budget, and you can feel it, and like you can feel the meddling. But mm-hmm. like truly great directors like uh, 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 Alex Garland are able to overcome that with creative rewrites. Mm-hmm. You know, why does Judge Dredd run low on ammo towards the end? Probably for a similar reason that Deadpool didn't have a big gunfight at the end of it. Yeah. Was Deadpool the same year or was that two years later? Two years later. Was it 16? Yeah. Okay. Uh, one of the moments of the soundtrack that really stood out to me um, was when they're setting up those three big like Gatling guns. Yeah. Mm. Like the distorted guitar in the background sounds like the. Yeah. Yeah. That that one, that one was one that really stood out to me, but yeah, Yeah. the the soundtrack's got that right amount of grunge. It's perfect. And like, again, going back to like the character uh, development or the character writing, I can't think of the word for it. Character writing. Character writing that it, it, it much like John Wick, it is, it is, it is, um, it is a dude that is highly skilled and does not like he doesn't have any emotions other than like I'm I'm in control in most of these situations that I'm in, because yeah. because he knows that that, that 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 he's a badass and he can take control of most situations in his life, especially when it comes to judging. <laughs> um, and and so he doesn't need to act like extra, like which I feel like in the clips that I've seen of Stallone, he acts extra the whole fucking time. Well, like Stallone has gone on record as saying that, oh, he, it, they feel it, it, it should have been more campy. That was its problem is it wasn't campy enough. Ugh, no. I mean, how are the comics? Are they campy? The comics are kind of campy, but there's okay. a level of seriousness within it. Like the world is campy and ridiculous. There's literally like a, an organization of fatties or something like that that it's called. And like there's okay. levels, like there's a whole bunch of weirdness to it. But like... That weirdness is treated with a sense, not sincerity, but a a sense of realism from the world. Hmm. Because okay. it is, it's a satire. It's a satire right, right, right. on like the modern world from the, the the eyes of police. Because the writer originally wrote it thinking like hearing all these crazy stories of cops and cops in Joburg and all that, nope. and like what is going on in the world? Like I got to do something to make sense of it. So he created Judge Dredd. <laughs> okay. So what, how do you think that would, that relates to like the movie, like in comparison to that? Uh, this movie definitely takes the world seriously. Like it is, yeah. there's ridiculous parts of it. Um, maybe budget doesn't let us see more of that, but like it doesn't, um, it, it pays respect the source material in a way that like an iRobot doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. I feel that. Uh, so I think it's time we move on to uh, our final thoughts. So uh, Sounds come good. back right after this. We'll talk about all three of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, welcome back to our final judgments. The judgments. Um, I mean, I think you can just... I think everyone's got our general feelings uh, about these three movies, <laughs> um, especially maybe where iRobot might stand in all of our opinions. Yeah, it's a big oof. It is a big oof. It. it <laughs> I think at the very least, we all don't like iRobot. iRobot, yeah. I will say, was not made for me. No, absolutely not. It doesn't for hold me. up contemporaneously, and it doesn't hold up... Um, as a, a a film, it feels like it's trying to follow in the footsteps of Minority Report, which we talked about off mm. recording a bit more. That literally the the tie in with Audi is even a follow the leader of the tie in with Lexus from Minority Report. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's there. There is not an original thought in its body of the entirety of its story. Other works have done it better. Other works have done it previously. Other works have done it since. Yeah. And I think especially some of those more formulaic movie-making aspects that are present in iRobot and not present in Soylent Green and Dread, where, you know, Soylent Green puts a lot of faith in the viewer to, like, piece things together and, and Dread, you know, bucks so many stereotypes or tropes you know, where iRobot just kind of paints by the numbers. And, you know, that's, that's like we said, ultimately to its detriment. Mm-hmm. I agree with that hundred percent. So I, I think where we might differ knowing my own opinion mm-hmm. is I think, uh, I think Silent Green's really the winner out of all these three. Okay. Like, don't get me wrong. Dread's fantastic, but I think Silent Green, I'll think more about tomorrow than I will Dread. And you know, in our ever in our ever changing criteria, expand you know, on that. Why will you think on it more? Because I think Soylent Green still holds up like so much with a lot of the current worries about overpopulation, unemployment, climate change. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I I did feel bad like eating this massive burrito before I watched that movie. <laughs> And, you know, it's kind of like, oh, you know, maybe I, maybe I do need to concentrate more on that stuff or like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't have to become a book or anything, but, you know, I'll pay more attention to what I'm throwing out and how I value different things after that in in small ways. It's not going to change my life, but. It'll be in the back of your head now, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you there. I I even even though my choice would be dread, I I actually do a hundred percent agree with that. I think I think I love dread for what it is as a movie and as entertainment. Um, and, but as far as like what is culturally more significant, I think Swimming Green obviously wins it. I mean, yeah. people still say Swimming Green is people. I mean, <laughs> still, it's true. There's literally a company called Soylent Green that makes yeah. a food alternative, a meal alternative. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I I've think... had I've had Soylent. It's yeah. all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's people would, though, so it's, you wouldn't start yeah. a riot for it, is what you're saying. Yeah. No, no. You wouldn't. Uh, you wouldn't go tip, get scooped. <laughs> pro tip: You can flavor it with a flavored coffee creamer. Adds a little something to it. Um, mm. I, I think I agree with Aaron's take that. Dread is also a commentary on like, you know, police use of force and like 
crime and all that. However, I think people miss the point a lot more. It's mm-hmm. like that meme I showed you of, wow, cool robot. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about Gundam and like how Gundam is actually a commentary on, you know, I don't know enough about it to, to talk anymore, but I know it, that it's it anti-war. Has... <laughs> yeah. That's it's right. Okay, that, that's right. It's anti-war. Yep. It's a hundred percent anti-war, but people like completely miss those major themes of every <laughs> of Tomio's works and be like, "Wow, cool robot!" Wow. <laughs> yeah. Look at this sick robot war. Sign me up for the space force. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna drop a colony on Sydney, Australia. Oh wait. <laughs> uh, that's funny. But Matt, I think that- you got a favorite out of all of them. I think Soylent Green is my favorite in terms of a a piece of film that is worthy to watch mm-hmm. because those themes are so present from a book written in 64, from an idea uh, from uh, 46, made in 73, that resonates today. That's impressive. Judge Dredd, there is those there is commentaries about overpopulation and you know and crime and all that. But like I just said, I think the wow, cool outfit, uh, (laughs) people just miss the point. They're like, oh, yeah, I wish Judge Dredd was real. Like I literally said, but but like that's kind of missing the point. And I think that's a bit of a failing of the script and the setting that was put forth in that movie. I feel that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I do. I agree with that. I, um, I will, I will always. I think I think much like Aaron, I will always remember Soylent Green because it is so insane that so early in, in 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 our history we were already talking about all this and we're still living in it. Yeah, we're still here. Dread Dread is the movie that you watch to escape the depressing reality that is quickly becoming Soylent Green. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, wow. Soylent cool. Green's not. <laughs> Soylent Green's not the law. I'm the law. <laughs> but is Southern Green people, though, Judge? Southern Green is the law. Yeah. Southern, Southern Green is people. It is people. <laughs> you have to tell them Southern Green is people. Like, honestly, if Judge Dredd was in Southern Green, like, shit would have gotten done. <laughs> oh, my God. We need that. Can we, can we have a Southern Green Judge Dredd crossover? I mean, it probably exists in the long run of the comics. I wouldn't be surprised. I actually think that is a thing and a theme in the comics that is touched upon very briefly in the movie Dread, where the body cleanups are for reclamation, reclamation to be reused. So again, even a theme, it is taking a theme and putting it in their world. Mm. Yeah. Also in Drudge Dread, Judge Dread, um, corpses are taken to recycle centers. Yeah, yeah. Where they're oh, recycled. Be recycled into food. Recycle, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, and that that just goes to show the level of impact that Southern Green has had on just our whole psyche. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, that theme also kind of goes back to all the way back to a modest proposal. Sure. Which, which what's that? Uh, it's like some it's way back uh, satire. Oh. Um, I don't know that it's the first example of satire ever written, but it's probably the most popular old example of satire where the modest proposal was like, well, we have all these people and we're running out of food. So why don't we just eat the people? Ah, okay. So. Babies specifically. Oof. Yeah. 
yeah. real, a real Donner Party situation then. <laughs> it was written by Jonathan Swift. Yeah. Uh, who's that again? You, that was the name I could not remember. Jonathan. I, re- I know that name. I'm, I'm, I'm going to feel like a big dummo when I. Pretty sure he was also like the guy that wrote a lot of stuff about oh, Gulliver's Travels. Oh, right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Very. Um, is this is this this would be Enlightenment? Yes. Enlightenment. 17, okay. 17 hundreds. I'm pretty sure that some of his work. Uh, oh, he's Irish. Know, yeah. Yeah, because a lot of the the Brits were like, "Oh, the Irish problem. How do we solve that?" And he was like, "Oh, how would you solve that, you Brits? You'd probably eat <laughs> I mean, our children." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some some real good stuff in this movie. I mean, don't don't watch iRobot. Don't watch it. Just <laughs> take take literally any of the other suggestions we've had. <laughs> yeah, which is Tro- Ex Machina, Detroit, Detroit Become Human. <laughs> What else? Uh, Blade Runner Ghost 2049. Ghosts in the Shell. Yeah. Or just Blade Runner, the first one with yeah, Harry the original Boy. Blade Runner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Depending on the cut, sure. Yeah, Final fair. or definitive cut, our best. I mean, I'm, there's got to be better ones. iRobot is so far down the list. <laughs> <laughs> Minority yeah. Report, if you're looking for like dystopic, m- more modern interpretations of it, like with yeah. slick future tech. Mm-hmm. read the book i robot yeah i was gonna say read the fucking book <laughs> uh read the fucking book <laughs> <laughs> sorry i didn't mean it that way <laughs> so yeah we're all in agreement that soylent yeah. green of these three is the one to definitely watch dread is a fun watch you know when you don't want to think too hard maybe and detroit uh become human is a, a great story it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, play the game. <laughs> judgment has been rendered. There we go. The judgment. <laughs> Defense <laughs> noted. <laughs> um, yeah, are you guys ready to wrap up? Yep. Yeah. Once again, you can uh, reach us at matchcutpod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at matchcut. Um, this will be our last, uh, last episode of the uh, quote unquote season. Um, we'll be back uh, sometime in January with the season premiere of season two, which is We're... another triple header, actually. Ooh. Yeah, fun I'm thing excited. to do for uh, I think for season finale and premiere. Uh, we're gonna be watching Speed Racer, um, Tokyo Drift, and Days of Thunder. Dang, that, that's a good lineup. Yeah, uh, Speed Racer and Tokyo Drift have a We've special never talked history. about it before. <laughs> <laughs> special history with this podcast uh it is it is the forgotten episode zero that was lost oh, due to technical issues that's right that's right but we're bringing it back i can't so, wait so uh that'll be that'll be in january i think we're targeting end of january but in the meantime uh we're gonna have a couple bonus episodes to kind of fill in some space there so look forward to those yeah well thanks for having me on guys been fun yeah thank yeah, you thanks for, for coming here. curtis uh i think i speak for both myself and aaron by saying that's another one in the can sure is damn <laughs> so i don't know i don't have a good one-liner okay. anyone anyone got something defense noted yeah, here we go <laughs> <laughs> see, see you next time bye bye